we would make a change to our demand because we called our buyer at whatever OEM and they said, oh, this happened and, and that happened and or from experience. Well, this is going to go on this type of engine and we know that these haven't performed as well as, as they expected in the past. And so there's this tribal knowledge, but it's really, really hard, at least for us it is, it's really hard to take that tribal knowledge and then marry that with your demand forecast. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. The automotive industry has always been challenging for manufacturers and distributors serving it. You might have ultra-thin margins with every year the OEMs threatening to reduce the cost further. You also have had traditional demand forecasting issues where the demand forecasted by industry groups may be off as much as 50%. Also with COVID and supply chain issues, the job of forecasters has become even more challenging. Now your choice is to overstock or overwork to meet the unpredictable demand or figure out how to take advantage of newer technologies such as machine learning platforms that are helping automotive manufacturers become leaner and operationally efficient. In today's episode, our guest Ryan Knox from FlexFab, Tony Lencioni from Lencioni Group, and Eamon Barrett from Remy AI share their insights into how AI and machine learning have solved their traditional demand forecasting issues. They also describe why automotive is unique with its demand forecasting needs and why this market has unique challenges to forecast the demand compared to other manufacturing verticals such as aerospace or consumer goods. Finally, they describe the nuances of the machine learning algorithm and how the traditional approaches might fall short or maybe cost prohibitive to achieve the same forecasting accuracy. Let me introduce them to you. Ryan has spent his career focused on growth initiatives in the areas of strategic marketing, business development, and product innovation. Ryan has spent four years as the Director of Marketing and Innovation at FlexFab, a global component manufacturer for the transportation industry and his previous six years in the construction sector. Ryan has recently led an initiative to identify, implement and commercialize advanced technologies that solve real-world manufacturing challenges. Tony is a supply chain executive and innovation enthusiast with over 15 years of experience in various industries including automotive, EV, AV, automation, defense, consumer products, medical device, and building products. To date, Tony has founded three companies in services, technologies, and sustainability. Currently, Tony is a strategic advisor for supply chain and innovation and is an adjunct professor of strategic supply chain and operations at Madonna University. Eamon is a supply chain technology professional, having co-founded Remy AI and grown the business 
to operate in Australia, the US and the UK. Eamon started his career in medical science before transitioning into supply chain and technology in 2015. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, welcome to the show, Ryan and team. Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks for having us. Of course, and I am so excited to have you guys. The kind of things that you are doing inside your company, especially when it comes to technology innovation, it's going to be so fascinating. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus, Ryan? Absolutely. Yeah, so so Sam, I'm the Director of Marketing and, and Innovation at FlexFab. FlexFab is a industrial uh, manufacturer, uh, 60-year-old industrial manufacturer. We're located in Michigan. Yeah. Um, we've been primarily serving the uh, heavy-duty truck, aerospace, automotive markets, so so specifically transportation industries. And I'm really excited today to share, to share how we're impacting demand forecasting uh, with some really cool technologies. And so um, I also have with me Tony Lancioni. Tony Lancioni, he is the owner of Lancioni Group. He's a consultant that we brought on at FlexFab to help us bring a different perspective. Um, he has years of experience in transportation and other markets of helping companies build out efficient supply chains. And so he's brought a really interesting experience to uh, to our problem. And then we also have Eamon Barrett, who brought on the call with me. Eamon is the co-founder of Remy AI. He's from Sydney, Australia. And Eamon has worked with his team uh, at Remy to build a really cool technology that uses uh, AI and machine learning to, to improve and optimize demand forecasting. So uh, really excited to share more about it. Okay, amazing. And demand forecasting is always going to be one of the critical areas that most companies struggle with. So obviously, it's going to be so fascinating. Before we dig into that, the specific use cases and the specific problems that you guys solved, we have one of the standard questions that we ask every single guest that come on the show. And Ryan, that is going to be your perspective on business growth. So my perspective on business growth is is about really what can you do commercially as well as operationally to be the best in the market? And so at FlexFab, business growth came down to expanding globally okay. uh, as well as into new markets and segments. But we also at the same time, given the global landscape uh, in our maturing product offering, business growth had to look like uh, improving operational efficiency. Uh, and that's, that's how we came on uh, the problem, which was our demand forecasting problem. And typically, marketers don't really think about improving the operational efficiency. And I'm glad that you are actually thinking in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> good for you and good for your company. Okay, so let's dig deeper into the demand forecasting. So would you like to describe about the company, the product, and how this demand forecasting problem started? So provide the background of different products, different SKUs and the ones that had the real problem related to demand forecasting. Yeah, so FlexFab, uh, we have about 10,000 SKUs. Okay. Uh, we, make a lot of, we make a lot of custom products. Of course, um, right around 100 of those 10,000 SKUs make up about 90% of our revenue. So I'm sure there's, there's listeners out there that, that you, you always get the 80-20 rule. You know, 20% of your products are making up 80% of your revenue. Uh, ours was probably even a little bit more extreme than that. 
But what we were seeing was we had some core products and we we're manufacturing in our facility in China. Yeah. Uh, and we're bringing them to North America, which is our, our largest market. And the problem that we found from the demand forecasting team, or really the supply chain team, was that we had a 12-week lead time with our manufacturing facility yeah. to get products from China. And we had an eight-week commitment with our customers. So that meant that it was extremely important that we could forecast accurately. The problem was when we actually dug in and looked at how we were performing, we had a absolute mean absolute error of right around 49% or actually 50% uh, forecasting from that eight week mark. So what that means is our operations people are just totally making up the difference of what we thought we were going to need to sell to, to what we did, uh, to what we actually sold. And that was being made up in really a lack of operational efficiency with uh, whether it be overtime or exped uh, expediting freight or last minute drop-ins and all of these things that negatively impact profitability. And it was for some of our largest products. So it was really uh, impacting our profitability. Okay, interesting. So do you want to provide a little bit of examples of these largest products? So obviously, I understand that you had the 12 weeks lead time from your operational perspective, but then customers were actually demanding the eight week. So obviously, one way to solve this would be that you are going to store a lot of inventory to be able to meet the demands. I don't know if that was possible in your case, but did you also have the cost pressure? So tell us a little bit more about the, the product in terms of why the forecasting accuracy was so important. Because traditionally, if you actually look at the manufacturers, they typically overstock and that's how they, they solve the problem. But in your case, you solved using technology. So there's a couple things there. Uh, number one, of course, we all know that that inventory costs money. Yeah. Uh, but, but then on top of that, you come into a year like we've had over the last year where where labor we have labor shortages and we have material shortages. Yeah. So that exacerbates the problem. So every single product that we make over the last year, every single kilogram of of rubber material, we make silicone hoses for for our markets, every single every single pound of material is extremely important for making yep. sure that we're going to be as efficient as possible. And I'm sure, Tony, I don't, I don't know if, if you can speak to this uh, a little bit more, how important, especially in the automotive industry uh, with on-time deliveries and, and things like this, how important it is. Yeah. I mean, good point, uh, Ryan, uh, Sam. Uh, right now, we, we, we kind of went into the, the, the bullwhip effect, right? So last year, everybody was, was shut down, right? And now, today, inventory is everybody's best friend because the, you know, supplies up and or demands up and supplies down, right? So uh, the automotive industry brings a lot of complication to the table. Every industry brings complication, but the automotive especially, just because it's so important. We're seeing it with chips right now, right? Uh, zero inventory everywhere and shutting lines down from yeah. every OEM. So yeah. the more accurate you can be, even in these times, whether it be from a black swan event like COVID or all of the repercussions that have come from it, sure, you can get better in operations and efficiency with on time, but utilizing the AI, utilizing technology like FlexFab has done, you're taking it one step ahead of all your competitors. Well, and that, that, was, that was really the most important point was that at the end of the day, 
having an on ha- having superior on time delivery because we have to think about the whole. So we've talked we've talked about that end, you know, all the way from material and labor, but on time delivery will eventually affect your commercial business in a significant way. If you're red or yellow in the automotive industries on your scorecard, it could have a significant long-term negative effect on your business. And so what we looked at is we said, how do we solve this problem? And let, let's think about some of the ways that we could solve it. And I'd like to hear from Eamon about this, but I'm going to throw, throw, uh, throw some out here first. Some ways you could solve this, you could go to a class where they talk about the newest and best demand forecasting method that you can use. And we did that. We tried that. You can go and look up algorithms to plug into your Excel sheet and try to put a couple algorithms together that can forecast. But the problem is, is that in a complex business like FlexFabs, you have different seasonality for some products. Yeah. You have high volume over here. You have low volume over here. And, and there's no one algorithm that's perfect for all of those different circumstances. And so now you have to have a supply chain team that's also an expert you know, statistician and an expert at building out, you know, Excel sheets and and macros and and then and then all your data gets really complex and it's too big for for an Excel sheet, and it's just all of these things kind of exacerbate upon themselves. And and you look around, and you're like, what what can we do? And what many companies like FlexAb end up doing is you just start taking the demand forecast that your customers are giving us in, in the transportation industry. And you just take and you say, okay, we got to plan for this. And then you build tribal knowledge of saying, how am I actually going to deal with this? Because I know what the demand forecasting says is not going to be accurate, but I don't know what to what level. And companies build out tribal knowledge to figure out. And like you said, they put too much inventory on hand uh, and they end up having these profitability issues. So that's that's kind of the that's kind of what led us up to the point that that we're talking about right now. Yeah, so I am actually going to have a follow-up question in terms of understanding the capabilities of AI. From my experience, obviously, AI is also going to require some sort of formula or the variables that are going to drive the the predictions that you are expecting from your your AI algorithm. So one thing that you mentioned is your forecasting was very complex. And number one, I don't know if you guys are able to break it down. Why you feel that in case of automotive, the demand forecasting is going to be far more complex. You mentioned that you know there are some seasonal factors, uh, but if I look at some of the other seasonal businesses, there is uh, they are going to have far more seasonal variability than automotive. So do you guys want to talk about what were the specific nuances of your business where you felt that you know what AI was the only technology that could have been used rather than using you know formulas. So I'm going to have Eamon talk a little bit about the algorithms, but I want to be very I want to be very clear here. In the United States, there's tens of thousands of companies yeah. that their only purpose, well, their primary purpose is to support North America automotive business. Yeah. And they and we are all getting the same data. We're all getting the same demand forecasting data. Yeah. We know that we know that manufacturers around the world, the average demand forecasting accuracy is 49% for manufacturers around the world. So FlexFab was at 50%. So FlexFab was right at that average demand forecasting level. Why is that? When you look, like I said, when you look at something like the transportation industry, we're all dealing with the same data. Yeah. And so so the, the problem that you're talking about, why did we have this problem? We had this problem because everyone has this problem. 
because we all are getting our data from the same places. And Tony, I, I don't know, Tony, before we go to Eamon to talk about the algorithms, is Tony's been working with, with especially automotive companies for, for decades. Has this, have you found any, any companies, Tony, that you've consulted that they haven't had this problem? No, everybody has this problem. You're spot on, right? So um, it, it, when, it, when everybody has it, it's, it's really hard to, to find anything different, right? So that's why the data matches up. That's exactly where, where FlexFab was. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right, Brian. So everybody, everybody is dealing with this issue. So, so Sam, really what we're talking about now yep. is everyone's getting the same data yep. and, and you're, and, and you were saying, well, what's, what, what's so complex about FlexFab's data? No, everyone has the same data. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to hear from Eamon a little bit about how, how the AI machine learning technology receives the data and makes, makes better use of it, especially Eamon, what we were talking about different algorithms and some companies have a lot of seasonality or high and low volume. So can you talk a little bit about what those best practices are? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So um, I guess using FlexFab as an example, um, one of the key call-outs I'd make uh, would be that you know businesses have had access to all this data for many, many years. You know, yep. the, the data that we're looking at right now isn't isn't new a, as such, but the way that it has been managed typically uh, historically is, as Ryan said, you look at what happened in the past, you might add some sort of seasonality factor, moving average of, of sorts, and then afterwards when you have that forecast output you make all of your adjustments you know okay my customer forecast is here car build rates are here container availability is likely to be here so you're making all these manual adjustments post post forecast so it's a all this manual work is being done after the fact with with machine learning um, or machine learning systems you you're typically considering all of the data uh, before the fact so the, the machine learning system is taking in all of that that data the customer forecast the build rates um, currency fluctuations container availability etc and it's considering it when it's making that that forecast output so the the adjustments that you have to make are typically far fewer and the manual work is uh, is a lot lot lower so that'd be the first call out I would make but the second point just building on what you said before Ryan around there being no uh, one perfect forecasting algorithm. That's absolutely spot on. I mean, time series forecasting is an active area of research, uh, especially in AI and machine learning. There are new approaches coming out all of the time, but they're always they're always very narrow. You know, these um, these machine learning systems might work very well for slow moving products or fast moving products or seasonal products, but then they don't work that well uh, outside of that that use case. And so, the way that you approach that typically is by having a suite, I suppose, of, of forecasting approaches where uh, you might have a probabilistic uh, system which can do very well on slow-moving products. You might have traditional statistics which are very good at, at seasonal products. And then you might have a super advanced machine learning system which can do very well when it's more complex and the, the demand um, is being driven by, by all sorts of factors and, and a lot needs to be considered. So that'd be the two points that I'd call out there, Ryan. And, and Sam, the conclusion that we came to at FlexFab was that it was simply impossible for even a group of people to do what really was maximum efficiency, which was what AI machine learning can do. Because imagine if a group of people had to look daily or weekly or even monthly at all of your historical data, compare it to what's to, to what you were doing versus what you could have done, compared the efficiencies of, of your demand forecasting processes, and then try to implement new demand forecasting tools on a daily, weekly, monthly process. It was just number one. You have to have you have to have a team of not only supply chain analysts but but data scientists. Yeah. You know, on your staff, and it's not just one data scientist to do this. 
it's a group of data scientists to be able to, especially when you have 10,000 products like, like FlexFab and we're on, you know, we're in, we're in North America, South America, Europe, and Asia, and we're not a huge company. And so we had to look at it and say, okay, what can we use to, to make us smarter, to make us more competitive? It's not going to break the bank, but is going to allow us to use the data that we already have more efficiently to gain better insights. Okay, so I am actually going to summarize what I understood so far, and maybe you can paint some more colors there. So my understanding based on what you mentioned that the industry had this problem that the data that they had is 50% accurate, meaning in automotive industry, most companies are going to rely on the consumer forecast that they get from centralized authorities. And that data itself is not accurate that you are trying to build using the machine learning and you are trying to align that with your business model. So that's my understanding so far. And typically in the traditional process, what you would have to do is you have to adjust these variables manually to be able to accommodate all of those differences based on your understanding of the market. So I don't know if this problem is going to be only in case of automotive or if this problem exists, let's say, in other markets such as uh, aerospace, because they are going to have similar data problem as well. Do you guys see it happening in any other industry or automotive is the only industry where you guys are seeing this? From my perspective, yeah, aerospace would be a good example of an industry that has less issues with this. And the reason why is because they have a huge backlog of how many planes they're going to build. And when yeah. you're talking about building seven aircrafts versus you know, 70,000 vehicles, yeah. the, the, when, the, when, the numbers, when the numbers grow, there's a lot more variability. And it's, I, I keep saying this, but it's exacerbated right now because many o, OEMs, what they're having to do is they're having to move their planning around right now based on, like Tony said, well, we don't have chips. Yeah. Okay. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going we're gonna to push back this production. We're going to push up this production. And now what are you doing? Now you're making your your whole supply chain's life even more difficult than it already is. And so it's really challenging. But um, one of the reasons why I brought Remy on, on the call, uh, Eamon from Remy, is because they actually have a lot of experience outside of manufacturing and, and specifically transportation industry as well. So Eamon, can you share a little bit about what you've noticed that's different about uh, the other industries and, and some, some interesting notes there? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So First thing to say is that, um, yes, it's absolutely uh, the case across industry. So we do a lot of work in, in retail, e-commerce and, and other areas of manufacturing outside of uh, automotive and, and aerospace. And it's absolutely the case. I mean, forecasting is an activity that is key to all, all retail and manufacturing. And, but it's also uh, true that forecasting is always wrong to a certain degree. So it's a, it's a, challenging that, it's a challenge that is experienced by, um, uh, by all businesses in these, in these areas. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, Ryan, the, the the challenges that you're having at FlexHub are certainly not uh, certainly not new here. But um, the, the way that other businesses are approaching it is quite similar to to how you have um, approached it at FlexFab, and that is that uh, research is typically done in house, and, and it's taken to a certain degree um, uh, before the, the the manual work uh, typically becomes too much, and you need to consider hiring a data science team or, or something like that. And, and then the, the decision is made to um, to to look at for external uh, solutions. So it's definitely definitely the case across industries. Eamon, can you share a little bit about how some larger companies, like I'm thinking about like an Amazon or a Coca-Cola 
or a Microsoft or some of these larger companies. Can you talk a little bit about what they're doing that that maybe mid-sized manufacturers are not doing? Certainly, yes. I'll I'll speak in general terms, so, so I don't give away anything uh, confidential, of course. But what we've seen at, at the larger end of the market is that uh, because these companies are so large, they they have the capacity to have multiple projects and multiple initiatives going on uh, in these uh, in these areas. So they might have an internal data science team of 50 to 100 people working um, in, in one area trying to solve one problem. They might have um, they might be working with a consulting firm to build out a, a solution over here. They might be working with a, soft, a software provider like Remy uh, to build out a solution over here. And whichever one wins is the one that's that's taken forward. So when you've got enormous budgets uh, like that, that you know that kind of approach is is feasible. But um, for the for the mid-sized retailer, typically it isn't. So um, you know a much more strategic decision, I suppose, has to be made. Okay, amazing. So I'm actually going to go back to the the forecasting accuracy of the underlying data. And I don't know if you guys are going to be able to provide some more intel there overall in terms of the deficiency of the data. So obviously, I mean, it's no brainer and a lot of people might be able to relate with it that, you know, when you have seven planes versus 70,000 vehicles that you might be producing. And sometimes, you know, the forecasting may be slightly more difficult when you have such a massive base. But, you know, we have been manufacturing cars for a very long time. And what I am not entirely sure right now is, okay, so you guys are claiming that, you know what, the data is 50% bad, but what exactly is bad in data? Can you talk about these specific examples of maybe the data is not forecastable in specific zip codes or based on a specific gender or, or what exactly is going on? What are the variables that are off? Or is it that, you know, if your forecast is going to say they are producing, let's say, 70,000 vehicles, but in actual, they might be producing 35,000. I don't believe that. I think there must be some more variables that must be off. So do you want to talk about the specific variables of the underlying data? Yes. So so the last thing that you said, so it's not about uh, forecastability of the data. It's about it's about the the actual industry's forecast of the data that they give all of us. And it's what you said. It it, eight weeks before, uh, we averaged 50% absolute error, so plus or minus 50%. So the, I know you said that you, you can't believe that it's that far off, but that's that's reality. And so I, I'm going to pass it over to Tony because Tony has a lot of experience in, in automotive. So maybe you can help us understand some of the nuances of, of of why. I mean, this is a pretty, now we're getting into kind of a different podcast of like, hey, let's hand this off to General Motors and Ford to help them solve the challenges of, of forecasting their demand. This is a big question, but Tony, can you help us understand it a little bit better? I mean, what it really comes down to, Ryan, is that we've been doing it wrong for a long, long time. And it, it's it's a mix of, you know, what's the information that's coming from the customer and going into the uh, supply partner and how they're translating that data and what tool they're translating it with. And obviously, customer demand, right? Um you know, different uh, economic trends, different uh, pandemics and black swan events and that kind of stuff. It all shifts the supply and the demand, right? So when you look at it from a holistic approach, it, it, it actually makes sense of why the data is always so bad because there's so many different variables that go into it. And, and the, the key point that it, it, we've been doing it for a long time, but the answer is that we've been doing it wrong for a long time. So it's how do you work smarter not harder. And that's how we take it to the next level with machine learning, AI, and doing exactly what FlexFab is doing in this case. 
Eamon, can you give us uh, any insights from the data perspectives and what you guys found as you dug into our data and, and, and how we were able to see such improvements? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I guess well, one of the things that we that we did at Remy when looking at the, the data from Flexib is to um, have a dig around online to see what other um, covariate or alternative data sources might be relevant uh, for your demand. And so, um, you know, the, the data provided by Flexfab was, um, you know, historical sales, inventory levels, customer forecasts and things like that. But then it's like, okay, um, you know, do we need to look at currency fluctuations? Is there anything that we can do around um, container capacity or is there anything relevant around the, the a COVID, COVID data stream that might be impacting your demand as well? So that would be, that would be some of the, the activities that we did to, to see what, you know, what else might be relevant um, to Flexfab. But to that point, it, it typically is quite, um, uh, company specific around what what is relevant. I mean, for example, you know, working with a supermarket, uh, the weather might be a really relevant um, data stream where you know when it's hot they sell more sun cream and cold drinks. Whereas for a company like Flexfab, the weather might be completely relevant. So um, it, it really is it, it's quite customer dependent around what what covariate data streams are um, are, are going to be useful. Eamon, is there a chance that, that maybe manufacturers, maybe even manufacturers like FlexFab could have kind of some standard stock orders in place that they constantly place and really it's they're, they're over-ordering, they're over-investing over in their inventory just kind of constantly? And maybe that's something where when we see the machine learning or the AI, maybe it eliminates some of those small points. So to Sam's, to Sam's point, we don't see all of the issue isn't all, you know, 70,000 versus 35,000. Maybe some of it is, hey, we have 10,000 parts and we're constantly over over supplying uh, specific specific categories of parts. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so typically what we see um, is that, well, a lot of our experience is, is in retail and, and uh, maybe 40% uh, in manufacturing, but generally across the board, we see that customers are holding um, too much of the wrong SKUs and not enough of the right SKUs. And that's just, I mean, that's just the nature of supply chain, Tony, to your point before around uh, uh, not only demand uncertainty, but supply uncertainty. And so it is a very hard, it is a very hard task. Uh, you add in a, another layer of complexity here, that is the the pandemic, and um, companies are now struggling to access containers and you know have everything um, on shore uh, at the at the times that they expect, and so that only uh, increases the supply uncertainty that they do have. So it's it's no wonder that customers are overbuying a little bit at the moment, just because they you know they need to secure some supplies so that they have things to sell. So it is it, it's a really challenging time uh, for manufacturing and retail right now, um, based on based on everything we've discussed. Okay, so. When your customers, let's say, are trying to buy more, as you mentioned, Ryan, that you know sometimes the customers are actually going to ask for more because they are overstocking. So that trend is going to be there just because they are overstocking because they are not able to forecast their own inventory, which is probably good for you. I mean, that's what you want. You, you want them to overstock because that's probably uh, you know cash for you. So I don't know if you guys have any specific stories that you might be able to share. So when you start on this journey, I mean, see any sort of you know correlation, when you are going to start on the journey, initially some combinations are obviously not going to work out. And then slowly and gradually when you find the right data sets, okay, these are the data sets that are correlating together. And these are the ones that is actually going to provide the kind of insight I'm looking for. So do you have any specific story from your AI journey 
which data sets you tried in the beginning, they didn't work, and then you realized your mistakes, and then you know you had to correct them. Well, let, let me say let me say this, Sam. If there's anybody's if there's anybody that is listening and they really want to do it kind of DIY, then I would say try to find a like a freelance data scientist. Uh, because the process that you're talking about of trial and error at FlexFab, we unfortunately didn't do that process. And so I'm going to go to Eamon in a second to, to uh, help understand how the, the machine learning helps with that process. Um, but what we did at FlexFab was, was we did basically years of trying different processes. We had many different, you know, we, we would go to classes, we would go to training sessions yeah. and we would learn learn about a new process and we'd come back and we'd try to, we'd try to implement it. And to your point, Sam, there's not a one-size-fits-all method that just works for 10,000 SKUs. It just doesn't exist. And so for us, once again, going back to the, the, the concept of if you don't want to get some type of SaaS model product that, that, that you can use, I would get a data scientist, a freelance data scientist. I would give them your historical data, give them as much as you can. And I would say, okay, we're going we're gonna to pay you to go through the process of trying to understand, especially for our most important uh, SKUs, probably most of the people listening, they probably have, once again, go back to the 80-20 rule. Yeah. They have a small number of SKUs that, that, that make up the most important revenue and profitability uh, features for their business. And so what I would do is, uh, you know, we didn't go through the process that you're describing, but yeah. if somebody was going to go through that process, I would go and I would say, all right, here, data scientists, take this do this analysis, help us understand what demand forecasting algorithms what, or formulas would make sense for us. And then what you could do is you could take that and you could plug that into you know, your own internal model, whether it's on an Excel sheet or, or, or on something else. We, you know, Sam, uh, I know I'm not very relatable right now with this, but we just didn't do that. We, we didn't go through that process. What we did was what I, that process I just described it's all done with the AI machine learning model where it analyzes all of these different methods, all of these different demand forecasting methods. It does it, it finds the right one, it finds the most efficient one, and then it makes use of that. So, Eamon, would you, would you mind a little more color commentary on, on what the process does, how much of it is manual for your team, and how much of it is, uh, is, is automated? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, maybe starting, um, Sam, with your question first. One one example that I have from uh, from 2020 was yeah. when COVID was first kicking off. One thing that we found across across all of our customers, or not all, I should say, uh, a lot of our customers, was that um, COVID case data at a location level was quite an important data stream. That is, it was uh, it was it was pushing up the accuracy of a lot of our forecasts across a lot of our customers. Because you know, if you're in retail or you, you sell through retail and the, the lead times are short enough, you know, having an understanding of whether the stores are likely to close based on the COVID um, yeah. numbers in a region provided quite a good uh, demand um, demand signal. So that would be one that was quite useful last year. But then, as you'd imagine, as the pandemic wore on, the 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 value of that demand signal degraded. So um, that that's an example of one where it was yeah. valuable, and then we then we then we scrapped it. Ryan, to your question, in terms of how automated and or manual it is, when when we onboard a customer, there, there's an onboarding there's an onboarding phase where we do the data discovery exactly as we we're describing before around trying to figure out okay what what data streams might be relevant um, to this to this business and and how can we test them. So in terms of the model building and training and testing, that that's all automated within our within our platform, um, and and it's more around spending time with the. The, the team uh, and the business to understand uh, what the the demand drivers and signals are likely to be. 
Um, so that's, yeah, it, it, it's automated. Um, it's, it's very automated to a point. Um, but we just need to we need to get into the into the details and to understand exactly what um, what is likely to be relevant to this business. Yeah, and the reason why I am asking this question is because you know I try to act as the business owner on this podcast. So let's say if I want to utilize the the AI models for my business, I need to know if I am going to be hiring you guys. Uh, you know, uh, is it going to work for me or not? And that's why I am trying to understand the process. So maybe it was relevant in your case. Is it going to be relevant for me or not? So I was wondering if you could describe the process for FlexFab. What were the data streams that you tried in the beginning and then what worked, what did not work? How did you, uh, you know, improve the model over the period of time when you are trying to describe the COVID data stream? That makes a lot of sense. If you are forecasting the demand for a business that touches retail, obviously, the, if the store is going to close, uh, then the demand is not going to be there. That makes sense. Now, <laughs> if I want to understand the demand for the 10,000 SKUs that you just mentioned, can you describe the model? How did you start? What was the discovery process? What did you learn? How did you improve the model over the period of time? Yeah, so for, for FlexFab, the types of data that we looked at were things like um, currency fluctuations. We looked at the historical prices of um, the raw materials. Uh, Rami did that. We did that separate project together um, to try to understand where the, the prices of the raw materials were going for the, the products that um, that FlexFab was um, uh, was using. Yeah. Um, we looked at, um, uh, earlier on, uh, we looked at uh, border closures and things like that to try to understand, okay, are there likely to be any capacity constraints around uh, the shipping the shipping side of things? So um, they're, they're the types of uh, data streams that we were looking at for FlexFab. But at a base level, it, it always starts with the, um, with the historical data, you know, historical sales, um, product attributes, inventory levels, uh, customer activity, and of course, customer forecasts if, if, they, if they exist. So it always starts with that. And then we start to start to build out and explore um, explore what is likely to be relevant uh, for, for that business. So uh, again, just to, to summarize, for a, for a manufacturing business like FlexFab, it's all around um, raw materials activity and um, and if we can get an understanding of you know build rates, you know that is car build rates or automotive build rates for the for the automotive industry. It's it's all it's all data streams like that. And and Sam, historically before this, before we were able to use the Remy product, which automated a lot of the process, yeah. we we looked at things and we still look at things like like build rates and and like like Eamon said, we provided we had years and years and years of actual sales and and demand forecasted or daily daily demand is is what we call it. And so we had snapshots of that information. And I would say that probably most most of the people listening right now, that's probably where you're at is most companies are capturing all of this information. And Sam, for us, the uh, the way that we pitched this to the executive team was we have all of this data that we're collecting. We're just not yeah. making really much use out of it. Like Eamon said, we did have places where we were using like 20-day simple moving averages. And we were doing that more for, for budgeting purposes. Yeah. But from a FlexFab automotive perspective, I'd like to hear from Tony if this is if this is pretty typical because I'm not sure. For us, we really had to rely on our customers' data. I mean, the only way that we would make a change, we Sam, we didn't make a change to our demand because you know we got some fancy new algorithm at this time. We would we would make a change to our demand because we called our buyer at you know whatever OEM and they said. Oh, this happened and, and that happened and or from experience. 
well, you know, this is going to go on this type of engine. And we know that these haven't performed as well as, as they expected in the past. And so there's this tribal knowledge, but it's really, really hard, at least for us, it is. It's really hard to take that tribal knowledge and then marry that with your demand forecasting in the way that, the, in the way that we were able to get benefit out of it. So Tony, I, I don't know if that's a, a typical process that most automotive uh, uh, suppliers have, but that's, that's what we did. Well, and just to add on to that, you know, Ryan, it is pretty typical, but, you know, to, to Eamon's point earlier about, you know, all these different variables, right? And they, they're so um, unique to each uh, supplier and customer, right? I mean, look, look at what, um, you know, if, if, if we're talking a certain platform of vehicle, it might have seven or eight different, you know, super duty, or there, there might be variants of that which make it very, very difficult for suppliers to, to um, you know, take in that demand, right? To, uh, so it's not only that, I mean, you extrapolate that over all of these different vehicles. Now you can see why the data is, is showing, okay, well, we need to order this, this, this certain part because it's on four or five different platforms, but not the others. It, you can see where it becomes really difficult. So it's not that there's bad data coming from all these sources. It's just unclear data from all of these different areas that are kind of coming into one. And this is this is happening, Sam, right now. This is a really big deal in automotive. I'll give you another example. Um, well, this is actually in truck, but um, I had three different extremely reliable sources in the truck industry yeah. that, were for, that were forecasting future demand of, of electric trucks. Yeah. One of them, an industry leader, predicted 4% of the heavy-duty truck uh, vehicles in the United States, Class 8 heavy-duty truck vehicles in the United States, would be EVs by 2030, 4%. Yeah. Yeah. One of them projected 50%. One of them projected 75%. So these are three leading people that, that we trust every day for our you know build rate projection data. One says 4%. And, and, and in fact, one of them, the one that said that said 4%, they, they actually said, we think it's going to be somewhere between 4% and 48%. That was, you know, think about that. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of trucks that are within this range. This is the type of forecast. Now, and, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm sounding very, very negative. I'm not trying to be, this is just hard stuff for people to predict with how much changes that are going on. Tony spent some time in the EV market. Tony, I don't know if... I mean, this is all relevant because because we're all all of us suppliers in the automotive and truck industry, we're all being brought into to new projects, for example, EV or hydrogen. So, Tony, what's it what's been your experience there? I mean, you hit it, Ryan. That's just adding to this cluster of data. Right. So people are being driven by these by these governments, by municipalities and we, they all have different kind of goals, right? By 2035, the state of Michigan is going to be 80%. Well, you know, the state of Oklahoma is only going to be 30. So how do you, how do you look at that from a holistic approach across the entire board? And when Europe might be in by 2028, right? So it, it, it's very difficult to not only get your internal kind of data points, but now you're looking at outside sources where they're being forced by governments and or and, and you don't know how that consumer demand is going to line up. So let's Tony or Sam, let's let's think about this for a second. What do you think is the most important factor into predicting the EV market going forward? What, what's your thoughts? I know I'm sw I'm flipping this, this script on you here, <laughs> Sam. What what's your thoughts? I am not expert of the EV market, but you know I would probably guess 
for the EV market, probably going to be willingness of the buyers to buy, I guess. I don't know if that is going to be the I, case. I think that's a good point. I would I would disagree with you on that one. Okay. I would say that the, I would I would say that probably the most important thing is number one infrastructure build out. Okay. Yeah. That's what Tony was talking about. So number one infrastructure build out. So what can you do? You you got to get data of of where this stuff's going. Where's the infrastructure going? Where's where where are the blind spots? Uh, number two is probably regulations. Yeah. You know you can't you're not going to be able to drive a, a class eight truck diesel truck into Long Beach California anymore. And I'm not I'm not my voice isn't trying to say that's the wrong thing. I you know I I don't have an opinion on if it's right or wrong to yeah. do that. But regulations are are probably number two. Number three is probably is probably battery technology development and the cost the cost of 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 batteries. And so think about this and and the the chemistry development of the batteries. Yeah. Um. Not only that, I just saw I just saw uh, this weekend that China, I believe, is stopping all exports of uh, phosphates, which they they mine thirty percent of the phosphates in the world. They they they're they're stopping exporting from China, which goes into battery production. So and it goes into a lot of production. And so think about all these different things you were you were challenging us earlier on the fifty percent. Think about all that complexity on something like EV and how hard that is to forecast, we're producing stuff today for these markets. And so that's the reason why this gets so darn complex. And now now think about this, Sam. I just said infrastructure. I said regulations. Yeah. I said battery cost and things like exporting and importing materials that maybe we can't today that we could last week. Now, how do you forecast that in Excel? How do you factor all those things into Excel so you can make sure you're providing your demand forecasting in as accurate of a way as possible? You simply can't. You have to use AI. You have to use machine learning. It's the only way. The actual results that we saw. So, so when we tested uh, the demand forecasting technology, we did a side-by-side test, and we found that uh, using the machine learning technology, we had a 20% absolute error, meaning plus or minus 20% mean absolute error. And with our traditional methods, we had a we had a 50%. So we, we saw a 60% improvement going from our traditional means that we'd been using for 60 years to our AI machine learning methods with, with Remy, which for us, that was what actually caused us to, 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 to say go on the technology and get the support from the leadership team. So since you guys mentioned that, you know, the your own historical sales data was critical for you guys, and I don't know how long back do you need to go? I don't know how many companies are really keeping the daily sales data. Is that critical for any companies to be able to utilize the AI algorithm or can it be done without that? Sure. Yeah, um, Sam, a good rule of thumb is is a minimum of two years, but with the caveat that it really depends on how far into the future you want to forecast. So for some of the manufacturers we work with, they want to do a, a rolling 12 to 18 month forecast. And so if we're only looking at um, two years of historical data, it's just not enough um, yeah. for, for that that forecast horizon. So um, the more the better is the is the is the longer answer. Okay, amazing. So we are close to our time now. Uh, you know, do you have any closing thoughts or remarks, Ryan? Well, I just appreciate Sam uh, you have you having us on, and um, I just want to encourage everyone everyone out there to um, think about, especially our U.S. manufacturers. It's just so important that we find a way to to get a competitive edge in the global market. 
And right now, if you're if you're supplying to Detroit, it's absolutely essential that that you're finding ways to make your products in the United States if you can because of because of uh, supply chain challenges. It's also important that you find a way to improve your demand forecasting so that you can take advantage of of the opportunities that we all have. And so I just want to encourage you. It's not it's not um, you know Star Wars stuff and and stuff that's outside of your means. Take one step towards using technology to gain a competitive edge, and I'm sure it'll end up being well worth it. Okay, amazing. And my, my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be, obviously, each business is going to be unique and they are going to have their own unique problems. So if you have problems that may not be in your control for the last 60 years, because you were relying on the industry data, which was inaccurate, now you have options that you can utilize to supplement that. On that note, I really want to thank you guys for your time. This has been a powerful episode. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, guys. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing the knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Ryan Knox, head over to flexfab.ai. It's F-L-E-X-F-A-B dot A-I. If you want to learn more about Tony Lencioni, head over to lencionigroup.com. It's L-A-N-C-I-O-N-E-G-R-O-U-P. If you want to learn more about Remy AI, head over to Remy.ai. It's R-E-M-I dot A-I. Supply chains all over the world are suffering for various reasons, including but not limited to COVID-19, material shortages, port congestion, freight capacity, and labor shortages. Now is the time to automate and utilize AI in key areas of the supply chain most specifically demand planning and forecasting. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Michael Pytel, who shares how he can create a far more precise digital twin of the warehouse by mapping the warehouse workers in the system. Also, the interview with Kevin Paramore, who discusses the nuances of robotic automation of warehouse and manufacturing processes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.